The Tablet Show, episode 118, with guest Chris Love. Recorded live Thursday, December 12th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Chris Love about all things mobile. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Dallas! It's The Tablet Show! Hey, how do you like snow, Dallas? <laughs> when was the last time you had snow in Dallas? Just two years? Yeah. Like, what's snow? I love it. <laughs> yeah, you guys just got dug out and then we rolled into town. Good timing so, on our part. Good timing. But on there, our were I, there was ice on either side of the highway coming in. I thought it was really weird. It is awesome, yeah, isn't it? to see that down there. And it's still cold. It's just barely above freezing. Yeah, and that doesn't even happen here much, does it? No. It's nope. Not, it's not right. I think we touched the nerve. Yeah, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Ice Mageddon. I like that. <laughs> Next we'll be talking about the bats. Well, at least we brought some barbecue with us. Did you like the barbecue? Yeah. All right. Well, we're on the road trip, but before we talk anymore, let's roll the music for Better Know a Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? What I got, you know, so I've been talking about C-sharp to JavaScript compilers. And yeah. When we were talking with Bill Wagner, mm -hmm. what I didn't remember was we had actually interviewed Nikhil Katari right. about his Facebook stuff. And in that interview, he talked about uh, Script Sharp. Right. Script Sharp. Yeah. So this is a tool that he uses so that you can write C-sharp and it will cross-compile the JavaScript. But that was quite was a, a while, while ago. ago. Yeah, quite a while ago. Um, so somebody reminded me of that uh, in the comment. And also, there's a couple more libraries. So I just went spelunking mm -hmm. to find out the current state of them. But, you know, they've been quiet. You don't hear a lot of people talking about them. You do hear a lot of people talking about uh, TypeScript, which I think has a lot of promise, although it's not exactly the same. You're not really writing in C Sharp. No, no. But you do have types on top of JavaScript, which I think is a really good kind of compromise. It is sharpish. It's sharpish, right? All right. But if you go to tinyurl.com slash csjsdemo, this is a guy who blogged in December of 2012. And there he basically compared two C-sharp to JavaScript compilers. One is called Saltarell, S-A-L-T-A-R-E-L-L-E. And the other is called J-S-I-L. That's good. Yeah. So what he did is he compared the performance of these two. Well, let me just read it. Differently from Saltarell, JSIL operates at intermediate language or IL level. After the C-sharp program is compiled by Visual Studio, JSIL examines the IL instruction codes contained in the DLL files and translates them into JavaScript, hmm. which sounds really cool because yeah. then you can use any .NET language and it comes out JavaScript. Yeah. But Low if that were awesome. Yeah. Right? But listen on. This allows a greater compatibility and portability of .NET applications, but the additional code needed to simulate all the .NET library has a negative impact on the execution of the compiled code. This is shown by the following test. I've converted the Ray Tracer demo featured on the JSIL website to the Saltarell compiler, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, with the aim to compare the execution speed of the two versions. So apparently there's a Ray Tracer demo. Mm -hmm. Adapting the code to Saltarell was easy, but not straightforward. Saltarell was missing some needed system classes that I had to re-implement, namely bitmap, color, stopwatch, console, and random. I tried to keep them as similar as possible to the JSIL version so as not to affect the result of the test. I also had to write the import code for uh, another JS library, Mersene, M-E-R-S-E-N-N-E, a small library the demo uses for generating random numbers, probably because JavaScript's math.random lacks the random seed feature. The results of the test. 
I ran the test on a four-core Athlon AMD processor with Windows 7 and Chrome. The result is summarized here. Um, the size of the script code, the JavaScript code in Saltarel is 108K. In JSIL, 15 megabytes. Nice. It's a little bit bigger. The average time per pixel in Saltarel, 0.006 milliseconds. In JSIL, a 0.093 milliseconds. So on average, Saltarel is 15 times faster than JSIL. Now, um, there are more comments below where people are sort of taking him to task and his methods and stuff, but it is an interesting conversation. And what I thought was interesting about it was I learned about how, you know, what JSIL is, and I also learned about Saltarel just from this uh, little thing. Mm -hmm. So, I, again, I have no, I've never used either of these things, right. but apparently there is work going of, on out there. There's work going on out there. And I think what this means is we got to have Nikhil back on the show to talk about Script Sharp. Possibly, or uh, or get Nino on as well to uh, yeah. talk to him. Exactly, get yeah, Nino, Both possibilities perhaps. there. So there's there's interesting stuff going on there, and I know that there's way more that we need to talk about there than in just a better know framework, so I think it deserves its own show. But there you go. Know it, learn it, love it. Have fun. And, if, of course, if you have any more to contribute, leave a comment or or send me an email. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment for show 113. That's the one we did with Jeff Fritz while we were in Philadelphia. Right. And this comment comes from Chris Love. Huh. Huh. Never heard of him. Yeah, never heard of him either. Uh, <laughs> and he says, hey, guys, I was listening to the recording tonight, and I wanted to send you some points. Uh, and uh, we didn't, I couldn't let these things go, so let me run these things down. Okay. <laughs> you will comment on this at some point. Uh, Google supports N-1 browsers, so IE11 and 10 only. And they even do intentional things to make IE look bad. For example, there are check-ins in the Angular source where they disable GPU acceleration in IE. Hmm. That's really... I'm, I'm looking for those. I've been told they're there. I am trying to wade through like 30, 100 check-ins to see where they are. Them. Um, so I'm trying to verify that it's, uh, came from reliable sources. I'll put it that way. Okay. Opera has roughly 300 million users. I know the folks at Opera and it's hard to grasp, but that is the reality. Yeah. So I made a comment similar to what Jeff made on the show a couple of weeks earlier to one of the people that about Opera. Opera. Who uses Opera? And they're like 300 million people. Uh, my comment was, how does Opera actually make any money? Well, we have 300 million users. We mm. have a lot of revenue coming in. I was like, oh, okay. So okay. why have you given up on your own engine and they're using WebKit? Um, they, they're feeling the pressure because of all the WebKit stuff. Right. And we can talk about that during the interview if you want. Yeah, so. you bet. Uh, IE11 is an automatic upgrade from IE10 unless you work for a Gestapo IT department. Hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's because basically, it's basically seamless. Like, boom, boom, it happens. Unless the machine is really locked down. Exactly. Through group policy. Which means you have Active Directory and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, on web forms, jQuery 2.x only stripped out the IE8 support. There is still a ton of cruft for WebKit issues that makes jQuery so fat. Yeah, the core of jQuery is, I think, 42 kilobytes before you actually get any, any functionality. Right, and then it's all if WebKit. Well, there, uh, even though, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, well you, you laugh, but this is a problem. We've got a lot of browser sniffing going on. We've got to stop that. We've got to do feature detection. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, there's a lot of WebKit that's out there, especially on old Android phones. Mm -hmm. And that's why they have to keep a lot of the cruft yeah. in there. They they're, can say they're we're trapped not going to support the same thing Microsoft's trapped in with Windows, right? Yeah. Still supporting AutoCAD 1.0. Rock yes. on. Yeah. You know, that's, that is the trap. They can't go back and break things. Here's my favorite line from the whole email. Android is the new IE6. And probably much worse. <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It just won't go away. <laughs> Somebody has to be IE6, and it's not IE6 anymore. But, you so, know, IE6 was a great browser back in, what, 2003, 2004? Well, yeah. It was the first yeah, thing you liked viruses. Yeah. It was the first but thing they ever too long. Yeah, well, because Microsoft stopped developing, right? Yeah, I mean, they basically went, they took this they, they, the, the whole Longhorn path. Well, like, I mean, that came later, right? It's even Well, it's about the same kind of time frame. The, the whole, we're going to do this Longhorn thing, and that kind of fizzled. And, yeah. And, you know, Vista came out of that, too. Went on a years later. Hmm. Okay. All right. And that's uh, that, that email's from Chris Love. Yeah. 
So I guess we got we'll... commentary from the author of the email. That's pretty cool. We should so do I... that more often. So should we give Chris a mug? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll give him a mug. Uh, but if you'd like a Tablet Show mug, it's easy to get. Just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And uh, that brings us to our guest, Chris Love, who you've already heard from, but let me introduce him properly. Uh, Chris has around 20 years, or over 20 years by now, of web development experience, and that is not a typo. He has built a wide variety of websites and applications in those years. In the past couple of years, though, he's begun to immerse himself in the mobile web application space. This is giving him some amazing experiences using cloud technologies, HTML5, and all the major mobile platforms. Currently, he is focusing on solving the problems many enterprises are having, adopting a winning mobility strategy. He's authored two books, working a new mobile web app book. Is that done? I am almost there. All right. And is also a five-time, probably six by now, ASP.NET MVP. Chris regularly speaks at user groups, code camps, and other developer events, such as this one, Chris Love. Where do we start? How bad is the Android situation? I think it's getting a lot better because, well, at least here in North America. Yeah. Well, so now, what do you mean uh, from whose perspective? The developer's perspective? Because from the user's perspective, they seem to love these devices. Um, I, well, I think like you got the, the S4 class yep. right now. Those, the the those are actually pretty good devices. Yeah. Um, I've got a Nexus 7 now, too, which is mm -hmm. a nice little 7-inch mini tablet. I have a deep appreciation for the Nexus 4 that I've got. I got from Google, bare metal, mm -hmm. no carrier cruft on it, and it's got 4.4 on it. And you know what? It's a good geeky phone. It works. Yeah, um, so we're clearly talking about the developer's perspective. Well, it's from the developer's. And I honestly think the user perspective, but I think the people that have, say, honeycomb and gingerbread phones yeah. are the types that are using them to talk on. Yeah, if, and not, not really. And what does that mean stuff? for non-Android people? Honeycomb and gingerbread. Because that those are that's like saying they're using IE six and IE seven. Yeah, okay. But and that's what made me laugh so hard when you said Android's the new IE six because the, it's the carriers. I don't have anything bad to say about Google. Well, really. but the devices can't really support, say, KitKat right. and Jelly Bean and Ice Cream Sandwich. What does that mean? Those are the new versions. Okay, so, thank you. Yeah. Somebody please clue well, me we're in. We're going to go to a yogurt place afterwards. All right, yeah. That's <laughs> which is the Froyo version. <laughs> but yeah. no, if you actually go... Uh, the, the Android, I don't know if he's kidding or not. That's yeah. the problem. Right? But, you know, you go to the developer homepage, I think, for, for Android, right? Okay. And they've got like a, here's what our ecosystem looks like. And they've got a big pie chart. Yeah. And I haven't looked at it in a few months, so... Bear with me. What kind of pie? Cherry? Um, apple? It's it's, uh, it's probably uh, a green apple because it's green. Okay. Uh, I don't know. All right. <laughs> but no, it's <laughs> they got a pie chart and basically it breaks down the active versions of, of Android there by percentage. Right. And I think Jelly Bean and Ice Cream Sandwich, Julie. which are the two more recent versions. Four, before, it's 4.2 and 4.3. Yeah, 4.4. KitKat's just now getting rolled out, which four, is 4.4. Four. Four. Yeah. Okay. Um, but Ice Cream Sandwich and Jelly Bean, I think, are probably a third of the market right now. Mm -hmm. And we're somewhere between 50% and 60% are still on Honeycomb and Gingerbread. And those are, you know, four or five years back. So and those are in people use. people know that sugar causes diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> It's, so, and again, I, I'm laying this at the feet of the carriers. They're the ones resisting upgrading phones and locking people into three-year contracts. Well, we have the same problem with Windows Phone as well. Yeah. Apple says we're going to upgrade, and, and they have to upgrade. And they don't they, have a choice. Yeah, you're pretty much unavoidable. Well, Apple uh, got a deal out of AT&T that, that has continued on that nobody else will get, where they get to upgrade their phones on demand, right. which is what crippled AT&T's network. Yes. And everybody else... The carrier is the, the stopgap for updating OSs. Although, have you noticed what Nokia has been doing? They've been they've been doing updates to the uh, to the OS by making apps called extras. accessories and extras. And you install that app, no app appears, but stuff gets better. Mm. So they just bypass the carriers entirely. I think it's brilliant. That is it, cool. it, you have to. 
you have to get around them to get stuff done. Yeah. And it's the whole, you were talking about in your, your, your bit about the, it'd be great if we could do the flicker deployment of 10 yeah. times a day. Yeah. I love that. When I do my own stuff, mm-hmm. that's what I do. I just update when I feel like it. Well, it, it, I mean, <laughs> on a mobile web scenario, you can do that as many times a day as you, you really want, can. Really. That, that, I think that's one of the big strengths, right? It, I mean, I appreciate the app store from the point of view of here is vetted software. That's probably not full of malware unless you're using Android. Uh, you know, at least in the uh, Apple, in the, the it's true. Yeah, but that's that's the one platform that's easy to break into, basically. Yeah. But at least in the case of Apple, and for the most part, Microsoft, they've done a fairly good bit of due diligence to make sure the quality software is going into the store. The downside is there's a big lag in fixing stuff. Like poor Jeff Wilcox yeah. with the Fourth and Mayor, which is easily the best Foursquare client on any phone anywhere, mm-hmm. and every time Foursquare revs their API, his app blows up. And it's a minimum of three days to get it fixed. Right. He, even if he, the moment that API changes, because goodness knows Foursquare is not going to call him nope. and say, hey, here's API changes. He finds out when the app breaks. Mm-hmm. Then he immediately makes the fixes. He submits them and the app store lag kicks in. Sounds like Foursquare needs to fix their API to have a version in the URL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Somebody needs to teach them something about building APIs that are actually consistent you know, and reliable. There is a downside to um, mobile web apps updating constantly, and that's if you're even any sort of web app updating constantly, and that's if your user doesn't like the change. They have no option to go back to the previous version. You know, like like Gmail, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a big Gmail fan. But do you really have the option to go back on a native app either? You you may have an option now with Gmail, but I'm a big Gmail fan, but, you know, they came out with this three-tab thing. You know what I'm talking about? Where all your emails and your standard emails in one tab, and then you have your social network email in another tab, and then you have promotions in another tab. That's where all those emails went. Here's a story for you. (laughs) I don't know if you knew this, but during the last few days of uh, the, the Friday after NDC London, Hansel Minutes went down. Hanselminutes.com went down for a few hours. And the reason is the domain expired. Now, I have, <laughs> I'm, I own the domain and I get notifications when I need to renew the domain. Turns out those notifications from Network Solutions contain ads, so Gmail put them in the promotions folder. And I never saw them. So there you go. So there, there, there's a, now yeah, what the, am I supposed the, the, to do? Am I supposed to go through promotions? Yeah, the moral of the story is get off of network solutions. I think so. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah but why you know are you giving me you ads joke. to tell me my domain's going to expire? I used to manage domains for people when I, when I was running my business, dealing with small businesses, and I would manage, you know, register the domains and their names and stuff. And, and I would send them invoices every year to renew or whenever it came up, depending on how yeah. many years. I'd say nine times out of 10, they never would reply back yep. to the invoice. And I yeah. just let them expire. And just like you're talking about, you turn the server off and the, yeah. they the call right away. Call every time. Seven o'clock in the morning, email's down. What's wrong? Yeah. Um, you didn't want to renew your domain. What does that mean? Yeah. And I have to explain it to them. It's like going to get your license plate renewed on your car. Yeah, yeah registration. Well, there, there, w- there was a reason why I turned auto renew off. And that is because I did want to get off network solutions and go to DN Simple. I was just expecting a reminder when it was time to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got so one I in got your promotions one. folder. In my promotions <laughs> You will <laughs> always get one at one point if you don't pay attention <laughs> to the first ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Somewhere along the line. Yeah. So, so again, the, the moral of that story is you don't always, you, you know, you, you get what you get with a web app, right? Yeah. You don't have a lot well, of I mean, options. But, but the usually. same thing for the native. Do you really, do you have the ability to roll back your Windows phone apps? No. No, in the phone model, certainly not. All you can do is resist not updating. Yeah. But I don't. And you can even, with Windows Store apps now on A1, they just automatically update they just the update. background. Yeah. So you're yeah. not going to be able to roll that back Which either. Which I, I find really, I find it interesting that that's acceptable now. Actually, mm. I think that's better. You, you know, I'm constantly looking at like my iPad and my iPhone and I see the little bubble there that says like, 36 apps need to be updated. Right. Like, right. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't even bother with it half the time. And the same thing on my phone here, my Windows phone. It's the same thing. I got like one, I think Skype pinged one yesterday. I haven't got around to doing that. Right. It's about once or twice a week. I may do the upgrade. Now, do you go through app by app and say yes, no, yes, no? Or do you just say, eh, do not? Um, on my Windows phone, I just update them all because I actually, it's my, the one I actually really use on the iOS and the Androids. Yeah. It depends. Yeah, Netflix definitely gets updated because that one's used every day in the house. Just about. <laughs> but, so, but you, what I'm saying is, do you actually look through the list? Yeah, say, I actually, oh, I actually I on the i on the iOS devices definitely, and uh, I don't get the Androids as much because I'm the only one that uses a set Nexus Seven. I use that mostly for testing yeah. and trying 
the the experience out. Um, my wife has basically confiscated my Zoom, and that's her toy now. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I guess if you look in that list and you find, you know, the NSA turn your camera on without you noticing it app wants to update, you know, then you have a chance to get rid of it. Yeah, I haven't downloaded that one yet. So. Yeah, no, no. And speaking of that one, that's one of the HTML APIs that I really want is the camera API, and that's been sitting mm. in per. You know, purgatory for each other. You're the NSA API. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the, but the, the excuse I've been giving is, well, we're trying to figure out the security model for these kind of APIs. And I'm like, really? You got the same basic model going on with native apps, like the geolocation API pings you and says, do you want them, do you want to let them know what you're, where you're at? And you check the little thing that says, always remember this. Mm. And it never remembers it. No. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck? Why even have the check remember me mm. option? And but it's, it could be the same thing with the camera. Every time you hit a page that wants to use the camera, it says, can we use the camera? Well, mm. it, it doesn't necessarily have to do it when you load it, but when you go to call the API, maybe right. it yeah. pings you and it remembers it for that session at least. Right. And that, to me, that would be acceptable. I don't mm-hmm. know why they can't get it through. To me, I think it's a conspiracy by the by the vendors, so we have to do these native apps. Because that's a big differentiator between the web and native is can I hook into the camera? And can I do push notifications, which is another API that's all of a sudden just starting to race through this summer. Mm. And looks like it's going to be at recommendation status pretty quick. And uh, I was reading the vibration APIs at, re- at candidate recommendation status. I was like, ooh, make the phone shake. I- <laughs> I had this conversation just the other day about uh, specifically about the W3C and the whole process. The HTML5 started really ripping and getting its act together when Silverlight came along and got good. Because, you know, as long as Flash was crappy, mm-hmm. nobody was threatened. But Silverlight was awfully good. You and, can do you know, some really amazing stuff well, there. Yeah. You look at Scott Stanfield, yeah. Vertigo, and, and the thing they that did with the 2010 training. Olympics was amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did the, what was it, the Rolling Stone with all the oh, they, musician they, stuff? They, yeah, the, all the, they had the, the Hard Rock the Cafe. They had the Photosynth stuff in there. And, Cafe, and, yeah. it, and it struck me that, they, I mean, Silverlight was so good that, that it was actually, we're all going to use this. This is a good way to build software. It's, it's a language you like. It's a deployment model that works. It works on, on the Mac. Mm-hmm. And and it seemed like it got the HTML5 guys off the dime to really make HTML5 pretty darn good. Well, I don't even think HTML5 guys existed. I think they were still yeah. XHTML path or something at the time. Well, I remember. I, it's not really something I was really into then, but now I'm starting to actually start pay attention to these working groups. I remember more. those days, Richard. We were talking, they were talking the spec wasn't going to be complete for another 10 years. Yeah. I heard like 2022 was yeah, something. Right. That, so what happened? Something lit a fire under them. And now yeah. that fire seems to have gone out. And some APIs are just laying around going nowhere. And yeah. some and, are, and there's are reasons. There's good reasons for it. So uh, this week I was finishing up the chapter in the book I'm trying to get done called High Performance Single Page Web Applications. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and, you know, I was kind of going through this. And so, you know, Microsoft introduced the pointer model. And you know Sorry, what the pointer event model? A pointer model. Okay. And remember when I when it was on back in the spring, yeah. I just released Deep Tissue, and that's a touch gesture abstraction library. So the pointer model, just for those who don't know, is way to handle touch and mouse events and pen and pen. Yeah, in the same in the same event. And you know, and it and it added more value to it. So like you could get the tilt of the the yeah. input. I, I don't know if it's available. Um, it's even got the way the the spec is actually written. In my opinion, it's got the ability like. Like some of the devices, some of the phones are starting to get where the finger is just hovering over something mm. it can follow, and that's that scenario is even kind of being accounted for, and that's yeah. really awesome. And then, but at the beginning, back in two thousand seven, when Apple introduced that little phone, um, they introduced the Touch API in the browser, yep, which Touch Start, Touch Move, Touch Cancel, Touch In kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, that's then the Android came along and said, well, we'll just uh, we'll just reverse engineer and implement that, just like everybody did uh, uh, X the XHTML AJAX. Mm, uh, right. stuff mm-hmm. that's basically reverse engineer from i4 i think or somewhere yeah. back in there anyway um and so then they're like well w3c like, well, let's just standardize this touch event api and at the very last minute apple said we got some patents and by the way we didn't participate in this for a particular reason because if we do we can't sue you mm-hmm. and so w3c said huh so they spent like a year or two with this uh, patent advisory group trying to figure out if it was going to be okay for them to even write the spec and so they finally said, well, we can write the spec. 
and now it's in recommendation status, but the browser vendors are like, I don't know if we want to implement that you know, because this it's not better. a legal thing. This not the W3C is not a legally binding decision. That's just no. saying we can write the spec. It's a recommendation. It's like if you implement it, though, do we have to pay royalties to Apple because we've got a touch API on our right. browser? This stuff is better than Meet the Kardashians, I swear to God. <laughs> well, we haven't heard that much, so much about the, the whole patent troll kind of situation much this, this year, I don't think. Yeah. As we did last year. Last year seemed like that was every day was a new potential lawsuit about even the, the little rubber band effect. Something must be happening. I mean, Congress just passed the budget too, so something's going on. <laughs> Maybe, but something uh, in the air. But so, but you I mean part of the reason why Microsoft did that pointer model is a they didn't want to have something else that somebody could sue them, mm. and the way they looked at it is we've got all these different modalities of, of input. We've got to account for these. Mm -hmm. And Apple's attitude is, oh, it's much easier for developers to write code to handle three different APIs and it is to handle code for one API. Yeah. And I'm going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. So, but it's actually pretty nice. And so, um, I had been working, uh, I guess about that 2011 timeframe, trying to figure out how to do this touch API versus the mouse API. Cause that was a common thing. Pen never really entered my thought in the enterprise yeah. yet, but, um, it's good to know it's there. And I was like, man, I gotta figure out how to write this stuff. I was looking at jQuery Mobile, trying to figure out how they did it. I was looking at Sencha, trying to figure out how they did it. And, and I was like, oh, this is a headache. And then the pointer model I found with the IE10, you know, betas and stuff. I was like, oh, this is nice. And so I actually started all over again, and I wrote Deep Tissue uh, pointer model first, and then clamped in the touch and the mouse. And it, I actually wrote it, uh, the core of it, like uh, what, essentially what's eighty percent of the code right now on a flight from Philly to Seattle, Seattle to here, and from here to Philly. Yeah, that's how I wrote. That's why I wrote the code wow. on, the, on the planes <laughs> on cool. a non-touch device. By the way, wow, wow, <laughs> I'm writing touch awesome. code on non-touch. So uh, something like that. But yeah, I wrote it on flights. Uh, about 12, 15, 16 hours worth of flights, I guess, mm -hmm. and uh, layovers. So. This episode of The Tablet Show is brought to you by Telerik Icinium, which enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. And the best part is Icinium lets you do all of this from within Visual Studio, including comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI as well as jQuery Mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities. That makes Icinium a robust end-to-end -end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium, with its Visual Studio extension, is available on a subscription basis and part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks and the Tablet Show. We were talking before uh, the show started that uh, you were saying you're sort of into mobile web development. How's that going? You say, well, I'm, I don't like to call it mobile web development anymore. I just like to call it web development. Yeah, so there's there's a new camp that's emerging, and I think this is just a natural progression. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's just kind of step back from mobile web as a general. Ne you know, not only is XP going to be sidelined next April, but that's when everybody's kind of projecting that mobile devices are going to outsell traditional desktops and laptops right. for the first time. So at that point, we say mobile. Well, what does that really mean anymore? Everything's yeah. kind of becoming mobile. And so you got to start thinking of things. we got to build a client that just works everywhere. Yeah. Right. And then, so to that Android fragmentation thing, it's yeah. even beyond that. I don't necessarily care so much about the device fragmentation anymore mm -hmm. because the way I'm building my websites I'm doing a mobile first right. mentality, meaning I design for that small screen, but, and I've changed a year and a half ago. I was like, Oh, that responsive design, that's just a performance killer. But now mm. I'm like, actually, no, it's not. It's, it's, if you do it right, and it's not that hard to do it right. You can build a great application that starts in the phone and gets big. Right. So this, so the book I'm writing, I'm actually building an app in the book too. Cause I, I just don't think I can express, um, the concepts I need to get across without having a practical something mm. you could touch kind of thing. Yeah. And so I'm doing this little mo this little movie application. It's kind of inspired by, you know, Flickster and, and uh, Fandango and IMDBs, you mm -hmm. know, apps and some of the other movie apps that, you know, just really look good on, on like iPads and surfaces and stuff and phones. 
Mm. And uh, so I've taken a lot, taken a lot of their user experience stuff, and and actually taken the the phone, and and I can just apply different CSS rules at different breakpoints, and I can have a really different experience without changing the markup really. Hmm. So what's your preferred stack for doing that mobile first approach? Are you a bootstrap guy or nope. what, do, what do you like? Um, I go against the grain because, and I think it's because I'm about two or three years ahead mm -hmm. of the, the giant wave. Um, so I was trying to explain it to Missy. My journey to this really started probably back when MVC was first introduced. Mm -hmm. And at that point I decided I was going to stop using web controls. And I just finished a, a web forms book and I, I said, I got to stop doing this because the PHP guys are finally actually starting to produce stuff that's better than what I've been producing for customers. Right. And I'm starting to lose business and I've got to learn how to do that. And so instead of like focusing on the server side with the, with the MVC side so much, I started learning how things work on the browser again mm. and getting deep in that. So yeah, I started this kind of journey probably five years ago, six years ago, I guess. I don't know. And so I learned JavaScript again, I'll really, you know, over the last three years, it particularly really well. The first three years, it was clumsy. Mm -hmm. And I think I made a lot of mistakes a lot of people are making now. They're trying to write JavaScript as if it's C-sharp. Mm. And that's a mistake. Uh, it's not C-sharp. Yeah. It's a dynamic language. It's prototypical. And uh, we got once I stopped thinking about it from a C-sharp perspective, it became actually very easy. And But it, take, it took that, that epiphany. Right. Yeah, that um, mindset change. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I learned CSS. And right. now I've, I've learned how to do a lot of you know, CSS three things, uh, keyframe animations and transforms. Right. And, and, you know, you, at the beginning, you kind of make them more complicated you need, and then you mm. figure out how to simplify. And I'm kind right. of at that, I figured out how to simplify. So I started doing single page applications in earnest on a mobile first web app. And I had to figure out and solve a lot of problems. There was no big giant frameworks that had single page stuff yet. Mm -hmm. yeah. I kind of had to do it myself. Mm. So I have my little spa library now. I have a little, uh, library that uh, I've kind of spawned off of it called backpack. Mm -hmm. And basically what that does is that manages the markup. And I store all my markup and stuff in local storage mm -hmm. with, uh, with the ability to replace it if it's changed up on the server. Huh. And I had to do all these things uh, because I needed it to work on a sprint three G phone hmm. and I needed it to work fast because as you know, Richard, yeah. performance is everything. Yep. If you're, if you're, if your app or your website loads slow, yep. People will get frustrated and away. people don't buy your stuff. Right. They go away and they won't tell you they've gone away. Yeah. So you get all these great metrics about performance, about, you know, e-commerce, but I'm trying to figure out good ways to apply this in the enterprise because there's psychological issues. Yeah. Too. The, the two, I actually could give you a couple of articles. There are two pieces that I used extensively at strange loop around mm -hmm. those. I mean, the easy piece of math is you've got a thousand people using this app and they're wasting 10 minutes a day yes. because it's slow. And times a thousand, like that number gets pretty big. But the more interesting one was the cost of of distraction. That well, when the app was interruptions too slow, per hour. Yeah. Yes. When the app's too slow, you think about something else. In you, that you, you, gap. Start look, you start looking at cats. Yeah. You get you, you get this, <laughs> well, you, or you just lose focus on what mm -hmm. you're doing, and so you make more mistakes. You do. Yeah. So if you had a one of the demonstrations was here is a four page app for filling in a form. And if there was a half a second between the pages, they just flashed through them and the accuracy was extremely high. Mm -hmm. And then at two seconds, there was a few more errors. At four seconds, there were a few more errors. You got to 10 seconds and pages were missed. Dumb stuff happened all right. the time. And it was the same people, same app, mm -hmm. just the time to go from page to page. And, and you're talking about like usability studies. Yeah. So, um, but uh, the big thing, you know, for us, it wasn't just frustrating the user. It's like, hey, mm -hmm. we pay them, they can be frustrated. Right. It was the data quality went down. Yeah. When the app and there's was so slow. many of those kind of points. You know, like we're dealing with touch. That's another. You know, like I was talking about the touch stuff. You got to make sure your, your points on the gotta screen are, yeah. are touchable with low touch error rates. Basically, mm -hmm. I'm if I'm hitting the movie poster for Frozen, and I accidentally hit uh, I don't know what's out right off the top of my head the the Hunger Games movie. Right. You know, probably my eight year old wants to hit Frozen and. She's going to be freaked out by the Hunger Games poster or something. You know, I don't want that. So you got to make sure you got enough, you got a big enough target with enough space. Mm. Little things like that all add up, and, right. it, and it adds up to frustration. Yeah, you know, after one second, that's when people's brains start tuning one. out. Yeah, one second, a hundred milliseconds seems instant. That hundred second threshold is where people start fading off. Right. So, is your stack entirely handmade? Um, or do you use anybody yeah, else's stack? Yes and no. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the MicroJS stuff right now, which is real small uh, task-specific JavaScript libraries. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I rewrote my blog this summer to to basically be out there in public because everything I've been doing is like behind a firewall. Mm. So I put this out there as like this is you know this is me. I did it myself, my style. It's all I do. Like I love the metro mm-hmm. flat stuff, so I follow a lot of the metro guidelines yeah. and do it that way. And so I wrote all this stuff. Um, originally, I was using requests for my AJAX stack, but mm-hmm. I was just making get calls back to my API to get data. So I just removed that 15k yeah. with like you know 500 lines, you know, not even 500 lines, but just a little bit of JavaScript to do a basic AJAX call. Right. Um, and uh, I'm, I was using Handlebars for my templates. I still am on some, most of my pages, but I'm just going to purge those out with just some hand spun stuff. And that's 37 kilobytes. Hmm. When I get that finished, which I've kind of shelled it till the book's done. Uh, should have less than 40 kilobytes of JavaScript. Wow. Wow. That's good. It doesn't matter what device you run on. That's going to be light and fast. Yeah. And that's the point. It's got to run fast. And that's, right. that's where like the jQuery team's starting to really feel the heat is it Google determined it takes a millisecond to process one kilobyte of JavaScript mm-hmm. to eval it. So if you're going to load jQuery or Angular, that's a whole second loss before your page is actually usable. Right. Well, it, isn't a lot of jQuery obsolete now just because of the, you know, pretty much the, the Dom stuff, especially. Yeah, pretty and much. They, they can probably, you know, uh, replace a lot of the, the calls that they have. There's with, a lot. There's still a lot of value. Shins. There's still a lot of value in jQuery. There is a lot. I don't, don't want to downplay what that. What I'm saying I, is, though, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that can be replaced with just like you don't. Well, you don't even need. You don't even need the animation anymore. Mm-hmm. That's all CSS. If I mean, and that's the thing. You got to. Well, I had this concept of a core yeah. site, right? So any of the new browsers, which is what everybody technically should be running, you shouldn't need to worry about JavaScript doing animations, for example, yeah. right? But, but, well, they still need to to provide those entry points. But what it, instead of provide doing all the code themselves, they can just sort of shell shell out to it's um, to what's being there's done there are some plugins that kind of hook into the, the say the animation functions and turn yeah. it over to CSS yeah. if that's supported. Um, that's a lot of code to do that, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I've actually adopted this model I call CoreSight, and I got the term CoreSight from the Guardian in the UK because this is what they do, and I was already doing. It. I just didn't have a good catchy name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you do feature detection real quick. If the site cuts the mustard is what they call it. I love that. <laughs> that you know, and basically they're, they're detecting three things like ad event listener, local storage support. And yeah. I added one more because I'm using the uh, media query listeners. Uh, basically it's sure. Um, if, if the browser size changes, I don't have to have a resize bound. I just bind to that and it only fires when the breakpoints crossed. So yeah. a lot less processing, yeah. but, mm-hmm. but that's only supported like IE 10, 11 and you know, basically the, the last year and a half of browsers. Mm-hmm. Right. Be able to do that. So otherwise, I just give you like the plain markup with a, a, a simple CSS applied to it. You know, we got a room full of developers here. I wonder if any of them have questions for you. Any questions for Chris Love? Who's been doing any kind of single page app research? A couple. Of, oh, there you go. There you go. A dozen hands. That's cool. Uh, I, I don't want to change gears on you a little no. bit here, but uh, you did say something sort of off the cuff just talking about mobile. Mm-hmm. What do you, do you actually see tablets as a mobile device? I, I don't. And, you know, for a couple of years, you know, I looked at like, well, the phone, you got to think, well, how's a person going to use the, the, the content I have on the phone right. compared to the desktop? And I'm like, eh, it's, that's still kind of come, come into play a little bit, but I can't really just say if, Somebody's got their their browser, like let's say uh, in snap mode on Windows 8. If you got that shoved all the way over to the left side, it's 320, 350 pixels wide. Right. Are you really on a phone at that point? <laughs> I can't really determine that. Yeah. And, and so I still have to go off that whole. What's the most important piece of information? Make sure that's easily accessible on the smallest screen. Well, and, and as you get more real estate, do more as, as you get chance. From a phone perspective, <clears throat> it's that one handed operation. It's you know. Hand, well, know, that's the UI part. So I, I I switch from a top navigation generally to right. my. I've got a little toolbar library I wrote that mimics the Windows Phone toolbar mm-hmm. with the ellipsis that expands and that kind of thing. And it's because you yeah the whole one thumb navigation thing. Yeah, and it's so much easier to hit navigation at the bottom than it is at the top of the device. And I, and I feel that that's the thing with tablets is you don't actually try and use them walking around. It's two-handed operation. It's just not stop what people do. Occasionally, it's, I'll see people like if I'm in Manhattan walking around, I'll see them with a tablet, but they're usually watching something. Are they taking <laughs> pictures with their iPad? Please, <laughs> That's the funniest. please kill me. So, um, <clears throat> I have a report here, and I'll send a link to this. This just came out on the fifth of December. That tablet sales are down. Did you know this? 
I so, saw something about tablet sales being down. Yeah. Let me just read a couple <laughs> paragraphs here. Uh, this is from International Business Times. Global tablet sales to reach 221.2 million units mm -hmm. in 2013, but will slow down to single-digit growth by 2017. Like the mobile phone market, which was once the cash cow of technology firms, the tablet market is showing signs of slowing down. A report from research firm IDC released on Wednesday forecast tablet sales to reach 221.2 million units for 2013. While it represents a 53.5% growth from 2012 sales figure, the projection is lower than IDC's last forecast of 227 million tablets, an indicator that the market is starting to get saturated of tablet computers. Uh, tablet makers are forecast to still enjoy a 22.2% boost in their sales in 2013 uh, to 270 million units, but by 2017, the growth would be down to only one single digit. I have a tough time with anyone projecting growth figures I, you know, out four years. You. Oh, absolutely. I'm with I mean, you, man. Yeah. We don't, four years, anything I mean, single-page apps thing I would point out right that now, two years from now, the, could be the modern tablet being the iPad isn't four years old. You're right. Absolutely. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and has the iPad really changed in the last two or three years other no. than getting and a new where, name and a little lighter? The where was Android three years ago? Nowhere. Right? So, right? Yeah, I that, think that's bullcrap. The other piece that, that I wonder about, I, I could see the consumer losing some momentum. They only need the same but way the television. What's going to happen in the enterprise? And that's where, that's where, that's where, where the core money is going to be for, for Dells and such. Yeah. Right? Can we find, and I've yet to really see this, competitive advantage with tablets that a business functions better? Because they've changed their workflow utilizing a tablet. And yeah, and to that point, it was really interesting. As I was getting off the plane here last night, there was a gentleman about three rows behind me, and he was, he was talking to somebody about how he loves to use his iPad, but he's like, but it just doesn't really have that, the ability to do Office the way I need to do it. And they're going to give me a Windows tablet when I get back, and I don't know if that's going to be right. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, that's, that's right. Tablets, not, they aren't really a productivity device. They're a consumption device, per mm -hmm. se. Mm. And I think that's where Microsoft really scored with the overall structure of the Surface. Because you've got that, that keyboard that's you get it's very, very tabletable, very easy. Into a, a Whereas, yeah, I, you know, I've got, I, got, I got that Acer when I went to the Visual Studio launch. Yep. And that's pretty cool because I can unsnap it. And it's a pretty cool little tablet that's got mm -hmm. that nice keyboard. With a big battery in it. With a huge 18 hours battery life. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it's not really not that heavy, but it's a good productivity device. Yeah. And, but do you classify that as a tablet or do you classify that as a laptop? Well, and I think there, that whole piece of how do you use a tablet as a productivity device as a tablet rather mm -hmm. than converting it back into a laptop. And I, and I think that's where we have to untangle the workflow. And it, I think it's one of those, it depends on the kind of data you need to be productive. Yeah. With. How are you collecting it? Like I can see like a plant floor manager going around with a tablet, like a clipboard mm -hmm. and on the company Wi-Fi, whatever. And, you know, logging information and pulling up, you know, making parts requests for machines that get needed, fix maintenance things. Right. And, and all this kind of stuff. I can see that from my past working in factories 15 years ago. Yeah. Although you're still that's replicating, a, that's a you're still replicating the clipboard at that point. Exactly. I still don't think we're really using the tablet. Like I, I was really fascinated to see some of the studies that Boeing was doing with the repair guys, where mm -hmm. they're starting to use, and there were Android tablets to photograph a damaged part on yes. an airplane. So the guys communicating back with master engineers well, in a central well, location. Well, we see that we see that on like CSI. They yeah they, they fake that kind of stuff. But but it's that stuff. I'm sending you this stuff from my phone, and then they zoom into the super high resolution. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and, and, the, and the other piece of that to me is almost an augmented reality piece that good software would not only allow me to you know get up close to that nose wheel you know, to a, mm -hmm. say a brake caliper, but then to have it overlay what it should look like or identify the part right. numbers. You know, and it's very interesting because back in the 99, 2000 timeframe, mm -hmm. um, the, the product I was working on at the time was for manufacturing. And one of the things we had hooked into it was, so like if a maintenance guy was actually on a, on a piece of equipment repairing it, he could pull up the AutoCAD drawings mm -hmm. and, yeah, and the help cool. documents yeah, and the photos documents. and stuff. We had access. We had it set up to pull all that through the web. Yes. Sure. But we, we were actually prototyping it on these little, they were some of the first uh, tablets that were coming out at the time. And, you know, they were really super expensive. They were like three or $4,000. And the reason why I say that is because I put a prototype together. We took it up to Cobo Hall for the automotive automation conf conference or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. Anyway, one of those you know, Cobo Hall, big things. And I was walking around Cobo Hall and we had set up little Proxim wireless Wi-Fi radios. And we had a 3,000 foot range on the suckers. And I was walking around using our application 
and I had managers from, from Ford Chrysler GM kind of stuff kind of follow me around, seeing what I was doing. They're like, Oh, I would love this. This would be great. Mm-hmm. We never really saw the light of day, but that was like 99, 2000. Yeah. So the, the concepts are there. The metaphor has been there for a but while. Now we've got, now we've got this consumer price point where it's super attractive to get them. Sure. Well, and the, the consumer, people are used to them. The consumer model has sort of caught, you know, everybody's attention. And that's what sort of fueled this whole thing that led to Windows 8 and, you know, the start menu and all that stuff. But everybody knows the real money is in enterprise software, right? It I is. Mean, so, so what is that? What does it look like now in the enterprise? Are, 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 are we still in web, uh, WPF apps on the Windows platform? Uh, you know, even though they I may personally, be touch I, 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 I personally, I never see the WPF in the in the enterprise per se. Yeah. They, they call me in for web stuff. So uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you, now, Rocky Lotka thinks HTML JavaScript is going to take over in the enterprise. I it? totally see that. I, you per- do? I really do because um, so got, you're talking about cons- we got the consumerization of IT mentality. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of enterprises are, are still lost. I mean, they're just flat out lost. Um, there was a survey sort of towards the beginning of the year that. 26% of enterprises were actually going to try to do something with enterprise mobility, consume, bring your own right. device kind of thing. But they still didn't really know how to do it. The other 75% were basically denying it. And I've been in several places just in the past year or so where they're like, yeah, no one around here has mobile. And yet I was looking over her shoulder in the cube farm of the developers and yeah, stuff and that she manages. Phones. And there's three or four iPads. There was actually a couple of surfaces. Yeah. Everybody had a, had Come a smartphone. On. Nobody has mobile. And they really? were doing it. They were using it for stuff. They weren't writing code necessarily, right. but they were using it for stuff there at their desk to get their job yeah. done. Everybody's got a device. And so I'm seeing, I'm seeing like the, the mid-level kind of say, no, we aren't doing anything. Some of the, the C-level people are saying, we got to do something with it. Mm. And the actual worker bees would want to want to do it possibly like last week i saw a survey 80 percent of applications in use in the enterprise are non-sanctioned apps yeah, yeah. and the it department has no clue about them right well i think the whole secretary's got it under a desk mentality's back yeah <laughs> huh. well and because it's small right yes it's not it's and i got I lugging got, I, the beige box in and the 50 pound monitor people notice yes right but when you, you, when you hire, when you hire me to work from home to build your little productivity app yeah that you don't have to go through the it department and i can get it done in a few weeks versus a year and do it say under 20 or thirty thousand dollars for you mm. that's a compelling yeah, you thing know there. and the fact that i could stand up a website in azure put some windows authentication on it yes. just make one login with one password and hand that out to well everybody. and that's another thing that that people wonder about is the whole security thing mm-hmm. right how do you how do we just make this something so people can use it on their own phone for example yeah. And, you know, and this is not what my strength, my strength is not explaining the security stuff, but basically you can virtualize that authentication through stuff like service bus. Yeah. And it's actually fairly easy to do. And you still get that active directory authentication. So uh, what was James from Xamarin was talking about it before we, before I came right. up here, how they got that built in through Azure mobile services and made that extremely simple to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. You got to make that hard part really simple. Yeah. And the, that's kind of there. It's the part of people accepting. That's all I got to do. Right. But, but really it is. And you can, you can make your front end out there on the public and virtualize that authentication, say, through Service Bus, which is the main model I've used, uh, back to your secure infrastructure in the back. So are you a fan of making your uh, mobile web UI look like native phone UI, like I Nintendo do. UI kind of thing? Or? Yeah. I, I, like I said, I like to make things look like the Metro modern UI stuff. But that's I, for, I like web, that for, for a Windows phone. What about an iPhone or an Android? You know, so they've all gone to the flat model. Yeah. They've all followed Metro. Yeah. Well, do they? <laughs> yeah, really. It's a it's a different it's a different artist variation of it, if you will. But I mean, iOS seven. But what you're basically a lot saying, of Metro stuff. What you're it. basically saying, though, is you have your look, and that's everybody gets. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. more about is the stuff usable. Yeah. So, like next month, I'm I'm gonna do a responsive design stuff at the Philly User Group. Mm. But I actually recruited um, a usability person who actually works for uh, Etna, I believe. And she's going to come in and talk about how she does usability testing in her lab cool. uh, and stuff like that. That's something we as developers need to get into yeah. more is user yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, like, like we were talking about the history of the .NET Rocks. My favorite episodes are when you've interviewed Mark Miller about the user experience. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he's, you he's know. great. Yeah, and, he, and on the Tablet Practical. Show not that long ago, he just went to town on iOS 7. Yeah, and I have not had a chance to go listen to it yet. Yeah. It's on my queue, though. Well, <laughs> and, you know, and he explained himself very clearly about what the inconsistencies were. You know, mm-hmm. it's a good show. I I think everybody should listen to that, even if you you don't agree with him. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. There's, there's, there's always things that aren't going to go well. You're guessing half the time when you put something out there. And by the way, he has bad things to say about Metro. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there are some things that, that drive me bonkers. Yeah, the way it works. Yeah. and it, It's the like first Like color pass. has no meaning. Color, color For example, has meaning. In Metro? No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does not, to not in Metro. Doesn't. It's all over the map. It's all over the map. It no, looks like you're supposed Walt to, you're supposed to use color to emphasize things differently. And stuff. Oh, really? Inside <laughs> of your app. But you, told, you pull up the, Look at the, start the, screen. Top, the start screen. What does that look oh, like? All yeah. the different tile colors and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's like you melted a box of crayons. Looks like all over Walt your Disney threw up on it. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, doesn't mean anything. Oh, you got all kinds of colors on all the platforms. Anyway, but yeah, but yeah, inside your app, that's where I focus on. I'm not necessarily at the OS level per sure. se, but yeah, it's more about usability. Um, I like the flat design stuff because, as me as a developer, I can do that. Well, right. And, and and studies have shown that you know when you don't have all the you know crazy stuff going on it's faster remember things well it faster. is faster it it, it use, it's uh more conscious about your battery usage yeah that, that's a big thing right. we, we were talking about the 18 hour on the sure. chaser and you're i mean that's one of the main i saw one of the main features on the, apple's like we got 10 hours on our macbook air i'm like okay yay yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so the the, the ui stuff I, I think it's i think you got to have an artisan artist type mentality when you mm -hmm. do it mm -hmm. and if you bring in somebody who's a graphic person and to help you out that's probably going to make it even stronger yeah as, especially as a developer but, but you just got to get it to a template stage so that you can re reproduce it consistency is important it is um and you were talking about bootstrap and you know mm -hmm. every time i go to a site i can tell it's done on bootstrap yeah it's uh, like every, every sharepoint site looks like a sharepoint site or you know? jquery mobile i can spot yeah. that from a mile yeah. away yeah it's got a look like, eh, i'm more of like i want it to look like I want it to look, not like they want it to look. And now I'm starting to look at the way I build my apps. I'm like, you know, they all look pretty much the same. Kind of like it's starting to look like a Chris Love app now. <laughs> no, but that's, that's pretty good, though, because, you know, you're like a producer. Everybody knows what, right. a, you know. A, but, you know, uh, I mean, you, yeah, you, you, you made albums. I mean, yeah. each of your albums have little flavors to them that very differentiate from the other ones. But I can tell it's a Carl Franklin right. album. Yeah, so I you can. put your mark on it, and you're you sort of you get that producer look, right? Exactly. This is a Chris Love but website. But as you keep as you keep writing, you keep building and building on it. So this album's got stuff that's built on from the previous one. I mean, you can tell it anytime I, yeah. I follow a band, I usually get like five or six albums, let's say. Yeah. And I can tell the progression as they got better at their craft. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and then eventually they burn out, and then their their last album really is bad. <laughs> yeah. Or they change gears. I mean, yeah, they really do. Musicians yeah. that, that really jump. They eventually, around. they get kids, yeah. and they you know go away for ten years, <laughs> and they come back. And, <laughs> so, well, uh, what's next for you? What what's in your inbox on um, your to do list? The the book is the thing right now. That's um, your mo it's looking line. somewhere in the four hundred page range. I'm Good thinking, Lord, oh, man, who's the publisher? Me. Oh, you could self-publish. Yeah, oh, good for you. There's uh, I've just, is that 400 Kindle pages or um, that's 400 pages dropped in <laughs> Word. I'm actually so I'm actually my process. I'm writing it in Evernote yeah. because I can pull it up anywhere on any device. Sure. And my wife's going through making sure my English makes sense. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I had good English. Uh, <laughs> gooder, it's gooder than it used to be. Though. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, so she can pull it up on, on any of the devices in the house. And I have like 10 or 12 devices, I think, huh. now. Uh, uh, I guess we couldn't put a, pull it up on the Xbox yet. Not yet, but you but, will. Well, maybe on the, in the browser. Yeah. But anyway, mm. so uh, so I'm actually doing it there. My plan, because Kindle's actually uh, a web. It's all it is. It's just a web app. Yep. Yeah. A Kindle book format. Mm. I'm like, I do web stuff. I don't need one of these word to markup right. converters because that's just going to make a mess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> do it clean. I did file new project in Visual Studio and I have a clean website and I've made folders for each of the chapters. Nice. And when, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to drop it into uh, LiveWriter to get the, get the basic markup and then I'm just going to copy it in there and clean it up and then see how to, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to try to build it with Grunt. Huh. Okay. Because you it's heard a, it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, yeah, there's a looking like 20 chapters. There's one chapter I'm probably going to pull because I just don't think it's going to be worth my time to do that's it. That's the Silverlight chapter. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's dark. Man. One, so yeah, I, originally I started off with like nine chapters and I wanted up to ran it up to 21. I think I'm going to pull one out and make it okay. 20 and even 20. And it's like I said, it's looking somewhere in the 400 page range, wow. and uh, it's going to be 9.99. Great. That's great, Chris. So look for it sometime between here and Christmas is my guess. All right, Chris, great. thanks very much. Chris Love, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time on The Talent Show. Yeah.